This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tunes Shuffle. An episode of Y-Tunes Shuffle is underway. <laughs> I'm Maggie Mayfield, your host. My co-host, David Earl Waterman, a.k.a. Hollywood Secret Weapon, is back. I'm so happy to see you, my friend. Thank you for being here. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad I could be here. It's been busy for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you have come back in just the right time because our guest today is comedian, actor, writer, Jason Stewart! Legit, legit. <laughs> well, don't get too excited. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It seems like a lot to go. That, that was a lot. I mean, I don't know if I can oh. help you with all that. Oh, no. It's like when you go up for stand up and they're like, the funniest person in the world. You're like, oh, man. Oh, honey, suck. that's only in the movies. In the show, the <laughs> next guy coming up. Yeah, you've seen him on this. You've seen him on that. He does all the clubs and colleges. Jason Stewart. <laughs> My favorite is you've seen him all around town because she's an Uber driver. It's my <laughs> oh, I've not heard. I'm, seeing, I'm not Oak well, Thank anymore. God. I don't have to do that. That's smart yeah. stuff. I'd kill myself and two other people. Oh, oh no. Well, you don't have to do that because you've got a lot of other stuff on your plate right now, like a book. <laughs> My new book is coming out. It's called Shut Up, I'm Talking. It's <laughs> Except a... you're writing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a memoir. My mom, who's right here, say hi. Hi there, guys. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Hi. You can say hello. Hello. My mom's here because we're going to the theater tonight. But um, so the book was written, the, the title of the book came from growing up and everybody was so many crazy people in my house. Everybody would go, shut up, I'm talking. So that's the book, the, How, the name I, and the subtitle is called Coming Out in Hollywood and Making It to the Middle. And that's about my career, about being openly gay in the workplace, about how, what it is to struggle to be an other in any way of life. So if you've ever been different in your life, if you've ever felt like you didn't fit in, this is the book for you. I love that. And how many siblings do you have? I have two. Mm-hmm. Are I you two. in the middle? Well, I have really four. I had five because I have two stepbrothers. Right. That but happens. none of them are that interested in me. <laughs> <laughs> none of them. My brother, the, the, the thing that he loved the most, anything that I ever did, I'm not kidding, is when I was a celebrity panelist on Match Game. He thought that was just great. That's where he's at. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, but I've done all these other awesome things. Oh, yeah, things. yeah. I, was, I played a slave owner in Birth of a Nation, and I played, uh, I've done all sorts of heavy drama and great comedies. And the thing, that's what he cared the most about, is I was sitting next to, you know, Brett Summers and, Joanne Worley. And because that's his world. That's I guess that was boring. Yeah. Yeah. Put on Match Game. Put on Match Game. Jason's yeah. on Match Game. Uh, he wouldn't tell people to watch it. He just said he liked it. Let's oh. not act like he really likes me. Oh, <laughs> well, well, Mom is here. So My mom is the greatest, yeah. She's here with us. In, in chronological order, set the stage. Uh... Oldest to youngest, first names, and just of a, my brothers and sisters. Yeah, just run, run oh, right down God, the line. Oh, there's too many of them. I don't even know where some of them came from. <laughs> I can relate. Like, how many of us have I'm these? Not really, like, I'm not really close to my brothers and sisters. Then the hell with them. Then yeah, why I'm not bring really them close into to this them. moment. <laughs> Scratch that. We'll fix it in post. They're, they're great people. In their own, but you know what? It's really for those listening. You know, you realize as you get older in life, if things don't work, you don't have to push a square into a, you know, a round circle all the time. You can let things go and still be kind to people. Thank you And for still forgive that. them. Yeah. You know, you really can. Because there's people out there with crazy families. And my family's insane. We're five minutes from an OJ trial. And, <laughs> you know, and two minutes from Robert Blake's house and around the block from Michael Jackson. So my house was crazy. That is the yeah. Bermuda Triangle. Exactly. Of Name dropping of people in trouble. No, but I'm just saying in your life, you realize as you get older that you can still be kind to people and you can let go. Mm -hmm. And I still talk to everybody, but I don't have to spend an inordinate amount of time on it anymore. Right. You don't feel guilty at Not at all. Thanksgiving and Christmas. No, I'm done. I create a family of my own. And my mom is my family, my dear friends. You probably know Alexander Paul from Baywatch. Mm -hmm. Who would know? She's my best friend, my friend Ernie, who lives in. Uh, Seattle and my, my friend David who lives down the block and all my you know all the kids that I mentor kids that are in their 20s but all the kids that I mentor yeah. you know that I love and Paul Laya a wonderful actor comedian and Jake uh, Hunter a wonderful actor and comedian and yeah. Robbie Carlisle who's writing all these stories you know and he lives out in Vegas now so I, I have all these people these lovely people in my I love life that. 
Yeah. That's, I feel like, what I'm struggling with right now is like the getting over the guilt, you know, because my family. Oh, it's the perfect. I saw it in your face. Oh, really? I really saw your whole face completely change when I said that. Oh. It did because you don't need them. You don't. They say, yeah. I, there's a chapter in my book. It's called uh, Blood is Thicker Than Water. Not, <laughs> you know, and it, it's true. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to keep knocking. My whole life, I kept knocking on a door. Can I come in? Uh, can I come in? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I come in? And most of my friends that are close, uh, that it sponsored me in life, uh, a lot of people who are close have said that I spend an inordinate amount of, inordinate amount of time apologizing to people. Constantly yeah. doing that, yeah, and thinking that it would matter, and it doesn't. Sure. You know, it it does once. Once you, I, when I do something wrong, I apologize immediately, and then I move on. Now yeah. I don't have to do it forty five times until they give me the answer that I want, and that's the way it is. And and it, and I think if you continue to do that, you will have other people in your life. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll make some room for that because if you're going after the people that don't want you. You know, it's like Groucho Marx always used to say, right? Remember the famous quote, I don't want to be a member of any group that that, that would want me. As a member, yeah, yeah. yeah it's something it's like that. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. yeah, but that's the truth is we wouldn't want to be a member of any group that would actually want us to be a member. Yeah, of what's wrong with you for liking me? Yes. Is the memoir, where does the memoir pick up? And is it like part memoir, part It's my whole life. It starts off. life. First chapter is uh, called Simply Barbara. And it's about this little gay boy at 10 years old that drove his, you know, Schwinn Olive gold, olive was it olive olive green, olive green, oh. yeah. olive green swim bike with a white banana street sissy seat. bike, sissy bike. I, I didn't have a sissy bar. Sissy bar, I didn't have a sissy didn't bar. Didn't have a sissy bar. Okay. That wasn't even in my time yet. That you're younger, maybe. But um, <laughs> so I drove my bike to the Pan Pacific Theater that doesn't exist anymore. It's right in the Pan Pacific Park, and it was a, a theater that uh, would show uh, the, the second run movies, mm-hmm. and it was playing there. And I was dri- and I used to drive by there all the time just to see what movie was playing there because I could go by myself. And in those days, you could drive around anywhere in Los Angeles. And I saw this movie, Funny Girl. My grandma Clara had bought tickets for Hello Dolly, which was coming out. And everybody had she had bought actually a whole row of tickets for everybody in the family. And it was playing if I uh, at the Chinese. Wow. It was Grauman's Chinese at the time. Wow. And I thought, well, God, I got to see this movie because if I won't, you know, that's her second movie, I think. So I got to see it. And I went in and I saw this woman who was looked like someone from my neighborhood who was funny on the outside, sat on the inside, and in love with Omar Sharif. And, mm. I, and I went, oh, my God, I'm in love with Omar Sharif. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm in love with Omar Sharif, who am I left to be but Barbara Streisand? So mm. I spent the rest of my life, you know... Uh, Cleaning up the wreckage of my past and becoming a man, Barbara. Wow. You know, That's and she amazing. she changed it for me. She really did because she was different. And people, you know, now she's a nice, sweet old Jewish lady who does concerts and acts occasionally and writes and does stuff. You know, activism, activism, yeah. and is really a, a stands yeah. up for for the people. But at the time, she was the Lady Gaga of her time. Yeah, mm. and mm. she was outrageous and different and had this incredible voice and was funny. And did these movies. She was a big, I mean, there was no bigger star in the late 60s, 70s, and early 80s. There was Barbara Streisand, Jane Fonda, and then everybody else in terms of women. (laughs) And then there was Pacino, De Niro, Mm -hmm. Hoffman. Hoffman's my favorite actor, Dustin Mm -hmm. Hoffman. So if you're listening, Dustin, which you're probably not, I'd love to work with you before I'm dead. Um, or before we'll, tweet, we'll tweet at him. Yeah, we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah, we'll tweet. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. God. And then, would... it, then it follows your entire life and My entire life. Yeah, I mean, until... it, it, it's not everything. It, probably until uh, uh, my major supporting role into the film called The Birth of a Nation, and that chapter is called The Birth of an Actor. <laughs> and oh. it's about how I got that part playing a white heterosexual Christian plantation owner in 1831. Uh, being a gay liberal Jew Mm -hmm. and how I went about getting that and how in my career my dad always used to teach me he'd say what you do he would say to me when you go to the interview what I want you to do is I want you to wear a tie let them know you mean business and Mm -hmm. he used to say that to me And and I meant I kept that in my head and I thought to myself what that really means is to show up and be your best self and just to show up and, you know, Woody Allen used to say that showing up is, is you know, 90% of the job yeah, or 50% or 80%. I think it's I think it was like 90, closer to 90. Yeah. Whatever it is. I can't remember anybody's quote, but I live by them all. Um, <laughs> Quotish. Um, so that's and that's what he told me to do. Yeah. And my and I did that for a lot of years. I uh, My parents were very um, don't you know, I'm embarrassed by saying my parents were really very influ- influential over me as a kid. My mom was really very just outrageously funny growing up and really sexy and I taught those and I think I'm really sexy and I think I'm outrageously funny yeah. and those are the two things I learned from my, my mom and she you know if it wasn't for my mom I wouldn't have had a comedy career she's so much a part of my act 
I mean, even she's, she's grimacing like, no, that's not true. Well, she always says that. <laughs> she likes to say the opposite of everything. <laughs> Shut up, I'm talking, mom. <laughs> and then uh, my dad taught me how to take care of myself mm-hmm. and how to uh, take care of my uh, to show up and how to go my, my business and how to how to work hard. Mm-hmm. And this is a business that doesn't like you to. They don't want to see you work hard. They right. just want you to show up and appear. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it was really interesting. Um, you know, my dad passed seven years ago, so it's been really interesting to see how that feels now of being able to have all these things happen. Yeah, you know, and uh, still think about him all the time because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have the life I have. I think he gave me space to be an artist. What do you but do I, for a living? Pardon? What did your dad do for a living? My father was the uh, vice president of a major. Uh, Castle Neckwear, a major necktie manufacturing company, and he also was a real estate guy. Cool. He owned real estate. He didn't sell it. He owned a lot of real estate. That's what he went. That was his second. And career. then sold neckties. He was the. He was first. He he. Well, in New York, there's a whole chapter in the book. It's called "Gotta Move, Gotta Get Out," <laughs> and it's about the Holocaust. And oh, it's about wow. it's about uh, it's about he was in the Holocaust. He was not in the camps, but he was in the ghettos. Wow. And he spent uh, the first uh, he was there for eight years, four years from running the Nazis, and another four years living in the German American camp, which is what we're doing in this country to uh, Hispanic people. And so I know firsthand from my father how horrible, and also from my uncle Mike, yeah, and how horrible that was. And he, uh, when you have somebody in your family that. Um, that goes through that, Mm -hmm. that has that kind of experience. It teaches you uh, how to be a better person. It gives you the opportunity to step up to the plate and understand other people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's what I think my dad did. Yeah. And uh, without saying it, you know, and I wish, I always think I wish I could have been kinder because I didn't really understand. My father would say, why are you crying? Why are you so upset? What do you, what do you make such a big deal out of everything? That, you know, they always used to say that to me. My dad and his grandparents, he said, we didn't have a piece of bread to eat. I said, dad, I'm eight. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't understand. And I wasn't, you know, I was too young to understand. In a way, thank God, you know, because mm-hmm. it's too much for a kid to know. Mm. Yeah. You know, and my mom was, is a survivor. My mom is a survivor and she's, what she's taught me also is about forgiveness mm-hmm. and about kindness and about how, you know, it doesn't matter what went on in the past. It's really, you know, if you weren't raped or beat with a tire iron, let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't, you know, there isn't a lot to to have to deal with. And my mom came to live here in Los Angeles a little around two and a half years ago from Palm Springs after living there for 25 years. And our uh, relationship has completely changed. We have family now and it completely in it in a lot more with a lot more depth. Mm-hmm of understanding yeah and you have someone that you can count on and she knows that i've got her back and she's got mine yeah i love that well, but she is so annoying i have to tell you well, everyone you it's that fine it, line the like, truth lives right here. at why tunes shuffle that's a big part of our show Do i look fat in this no you look fine you're lying Come on, <laughs> you know. what's that on your pants wipe that off what's that on your pants it's a little thing it's a schmutz you know who was that guy you're dating i didn't think he was good enough <laughs> no, he, he he was a nice man, but he was weak. You know. <laughs> well, at least she's honest. Oh, you know? honest is a nice way of putting it. Oh, blunt. Okay, got yeah. it. All right. Well, that was a good segue to get into our first song. I think. For whatever my man is, I am his forever more. Oh, you can't. I have a video of this. Oh my god! It's on YouTube of me singing, of Liv singing this in a hotel oh, wow. uh, with a bunch of comedians. We were really? all doing our, uh, we were all doing our impressions of our favorite song. This is probably my favorite song. Favorite oh song, Liza Minnelli. This is Barbara, Barbara Streisand. Streisand. That's Barbara Streisand. Are you Where straight? Are you? You're definitely straight, aren't you? Because it, how can he not know that? Yes. Of course, it should be Barbara Streisand. From yes. what? It's Educate from, us. It's from a movie called Funny Girl, as mm-hmm. I talked okay. about before. Yeah, yeah. It's the last song in the film. The history of the song is really interesting. So when she did the song, the in those days, nobody sang live. Mm-hmm. You would do all the songs in the soundstage. Yeah. Uh, it would, you know, in the, I guess, wherever you uh, do the song, wherever you uh, tape the songs. So you would go there and tape the songs. You would do the the vocals of it. And then you'd come back and you'd lip sing it yeah. on, on the soundstage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what are you, the recording studio, I'm sorry. So they would do it in the recording studio. And uh, she said, no. She said, I can't do this. 
I said, I can't get the emotion of this mm-hmm. if I have to lip sing it, if yeah. I can't just let myself go. And it was one of the first films in 1968 that they actually let her sing with the track in the soundstage, not on the recording studio. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah, so, and that is this, that's the, I think that is the song. That is the thing that made her win the Oscar. And that she's year. like crying in the video. Yeah. yeah. It's like the single tear. The it's single amazing. tear. She's amazing. She can have one tear coming out of one eye. It's <sighs> amazing that you said that. Uh, I do that too. It's here and here is where they always come out. <laughs> Seriously. I don't yeah. know why. Whenever I cry and I have those terrible pig cry, you know, it always, it's, it'll start here and then it'll go like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, what was really interesting, the, the song is called My Man, mm-hmm. and it's it's an old song that was sang in the 20s. It's a very, very old song. I think it was a French song immediately. And I think, um, oh, God, Edith Piaf, I think, also uh, recorded it. And uh, Fanny Bryce had sung it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, the movie is about Fanny Bryce, who is a vaudeville star. And it's about her husband, Nicky Arnstein, who uh, went to jail for... Um, Embezzlement? Yes, embezzlement. I know the story. Yeah, yeah. embezzlement. And he said, look, and, you know, she was much more famous than him, much more successful. Mm -hmm. And in those days, you know, in the 20s, uh, for a woman to be more successful than the husband was like, you know, it was was, Pasha, you know, it was like a a shame to do that, especially for... That's why he did the crime. He wanted to try to keep up with her. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, she's in the movie. I I don't know what the real story is, but in the movie, she says, look, he went to jail for a year and a half. He says, he says, I'm going to divorce. She says, not now. You'll go to jail. You'll come back. And if you still feel that way, I'll I'll give you the divorce. And then she goes on stage and she sings this song. and Mm. It's the close of the film. And it's about, you know... Who you know, you know it's like Tammy. Why not stand by your man? Mm-hmm. And when she was in concert, her I believe it was the first concert that came back in '95. I'm not 100 percent sure. She says I don't like to sing victim songs anymore, <laughs> but this one I'm going to sing. Mm. You know, and Diana Ross also covered it in Lady Sings the Blues, mm. and uh, it's just an extraordinary song about being in love with the wrong person. But you got this when you were like eight, ten years old. Yeah, I don't know if I really understood it then, but my was, mom always used to say to me, how do you understand these movies? I remember once I was watching Carol Baker in Harlow about Jean Harlow. It was on the 6.30 movie. And she says, I don't think you're going to understand this movie, but go ahead. I don't, <laughs> I don't give a crap. Yeah. And I watched it, and, and she was right. I didn't understand until years later some of the other implications of yeah. of what had happened, you know, because she married a gay guy that was the head of a studio, and at the time they wouldn't say he was a gay guy. Mm-hmm. They'd say he was impotent. And all these things, you know. And I got to work with Carol Baker years later. Oh, nice. Oh, man. In the movie Kindergarten Cop, I played uh, her hairdresser. She was the villainess. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I'll I'll drop some names, too. Well, I was there. I was with TNT Rough Cut doing the, uh, at the uh, Four Seasons when they did the press junket. Oh, really? I had a tiny part. I was invited to the press junket. (laughs) (laughs) Though I should have. And there's a thing in the book about that because... It was the first time I went to a very big Hollywood screening of a movie that I was in. And Ivan Reitman, who's the director, who directed Ghostbusters and all those great comedies, walks by me. He says, you're still in the movie. Uh, and I thought, oh, how great. But I didn't cool. realize as he'd cut my part in, to a third of what oh. I had done. And I went, oh, my God, I was so disappointed. Yeah. Uh, but I'm still in the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So this <laughs> song brought you joy. Initially, this was just uh, um, sort of like, When I started, uh, when I, ha- I had a kid that I mentored who was a singer, and she said, you must sing in a club. And we would get together and we would just sing. And mm-hmm. she would tape me on her singer tape recorder thing for songs. And I I said, she said, what song do you know? I said, well, I know this. And I sang this song and I worked on it with her. And then I went and did this night of uh, singers. And it's funny because people knew me in the audience who come, fans, and they expect me to be funny. So if you go online and you and you go to my website, which is jasonstewart.com, S-T-U-A-R-T, there's a singing section of it. Okay. It's on singing, and you can see me singing that song around five years ago, this song, and you see somebody laugh right at the beginning before when I start because they think that I'm going to be funny, and there oh. was nothing, you know, I wasn't being funny, but oh. because they expect that because I do stand-up, oh. yeah. But was it, that tense? That must have been tense then. No, I don't care what people do. I can, I can go on stage and do anything. Nice. You know, 36 years being on stage... You what know, was your first play? What was your first stage experience? I think it was the first play I did was a Purim play. It was at my temple, and I played a slave, and I ripped up one of my mother's sheets, and she was very upset. Do you remember? What? No, that was years later, Ma. That was This is the first play when I was a kid. Not my first professional play. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was my first play. I think I was eight or nine years old. It was at the temple. 
Yeah, when I started uh, going to the temple and having to do things, maybe and ten. You ripped eight, the sheets. What was oh. your first play? Oh, it was some like Christmas pageant when I was a kid, and I was the pretzel girl. And all I remember is like singing with my little curly red hair and like waving my arms around, like I'm the pretzel girl. Why was there a pretzel girl in a Christmas play? I don't know. Julius it was Caesar. adorable. I was. Julius I was in a Christmas Caesar. play too. As an angel? No, I was Santa Claus for president. Oh. Jewish Santa Claus. <laughs> Played the whole role, role like I was Lucille Ball pregnant. <laughs> Perfect. What was yours, David? Julius Caesar. How old were you? Third grade. Oh. Jeez, I was wait. Brutus. They, they were yeah. doing in the third grade. You doing Shakespeare. We did an excerpt from it at Fall Creek Elementary. And we got Brute. to dip our little. We got to dip our little uh, cardboard cutout knives in ketchup. Ew. And my friend Bill Elliott was Caesar, and I put that right across his cheek when he said "Itu Brute." <laughs> and you guys memorized Shakespeare at that time? No, it was a, it was vignettes. Oh dear God! Yeah, we were being it was Ithaca, New York, upstate New York. Wow! Uh, under the under the, uh, the 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 shadow of Cornell University. Wow! Yes, indeed. I did I did Shakespeare's Carolinas when I was twenty. When saw you, sirs, a porter's eyes and his ears to gain entrance to such companions? Pray you get out. That's all I remember. <laughs> oh, perfect. That's all you need. Isn't that funny? It's and an I can never do a Shakespeare play now. I don't think I could ever do it. No. Funny. But girl. that's why we have like James Patrick Stewart. <laughs> that's that's isn't that his thing? In yes. Ian McCullen, that's why they're they like love it. Yeah. That's why yeah, we love it. Yeah, it bores me to tears. <laughs> um I don't know why, it just does. But I love film and you know, but I do I I saw him do Richard the Third in film and they did the whole thing like it was in Nazi Germany and that Benny was in it and Robert Downey Jr. and I found it really interesting. Name dropping. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a really interesting production. But I'm not in love with Shakespeare. Isn't that terrible? No. No. I took a class last year because I thought this is something I need to do to round out my acting career. Took it uh over there with the uh, in the park, the the Griffin oh I park know that I've seen that yeah, I've gone there yeah. bored to tears wonderful people <laughs> I, yeah I didn't I, I, tried I don't to do the I don't love it I don't love it because I don't think it's communicative anymore yeah mm. I don't think it's communicative I think the stories are, are you know it's like one of my favorite all time movies is Ordinary People. Ah, there's great. Oh. It's Redford's first movie directing. It's written Mary by Tyler Alvin, Moore. Mary Tyler Moore, oh. Judd Hirsch, uh, Timothy Hutton, oh, it's uh, tragic Judd uh, Judd uh, Nelson. Elizabeth McGovern, uh, Dinah Manoff. It's just extraordinary. Basil Hoffman mm -hmm. was in it. Wonderful character, actually. Who I just did a little short film with him recently. Wow. At Basil Hoffman. Isn't that weird? Mm. And uh, it's written by the late Alvin Sargent, who wrote Julia and some of the uh, Spider-Man films. And Alvin Sargent just passed away this last year. And just brilliant. He won the Academy Award. And it's just an incredible story about a family. You know, and about learning to say, okay, you know, I, I, it's about a boy whose brother uh, and him go on a, a fishing uh, boat, and one of the boys the, the, gets in bad weather, and the two brothers are on the boat, and one of the boys uh, drowns, and the other boy didn't let go. Mm. And he, in the, you know, every every young actor went to see that movie and said, I'm Timothy Hutton, and I thought that's who I was, and that's who I was inside. That's who I was, but people thought of me as funny and goofy. And isn't that strange how we're like, I'm a comedian. Everyone expects you to be like, oh, I've I wasn't, been happy no, all the no, time. No, no, I wasn't a comedian. Then. We're like so sad on the inside. Not even sad, just like very deep. And there's so many more layers that I don't think people give us credit for. I came to it very differently because I was a funny kid, but yet I was sort of told I was a comedian. I was told I had a manager, uh, late Catherine James, who used to be. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's manager. Oh, wow. And uh, she said, oh, you're funny. And uh, I had a boyfriend who used to say, God, you sound like a Neil Simon play. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, but I, I studied acting from the time I was 14 years old until, you know, I still go back and forth. I still go to Larry Moss's uh, master class once in a while. But I, you know, I don't think of myself, you know, it's just like when you hear Streisand talk, she'll say, I'm an actress first. Or you hear Sherman McLean talk, she'll say, I'm a singer first. Mm -hmm. I mean, not a singer, a dancer, dancer, dancer. Sure, sure, She sure. says she's a dancer first. I got no, famous for being a comedian, but I've always been an actor first. Wow. Never, never, not anything else. And I think of myself as a character actor, always have. Yeah. Never, ever uh, anything else but that. The, com the comedy came out of desperation, out of not being able to get a job. 
Oh. And there's a whole chapter about that in the book called Comedy Isn't Pretty. I can't wait to read this. Well, you have to buy it. I, I, <laughs> and you can get it on jasonstewart.com, S-T-U-A-R-T, through CCB Publishing, uh, which is pre-ordering right now. Okay. And then it'll be on Amazon in a couple weeks. Awesome. That's great. Congrats on it. That's It's not easy to write a book. It's not really easy to do I much I had this no town, idea. But, I wrote it yeah. with this incredible guy named Dan Duffy, mm -hmm. who I had met when I was touring. He was a radio producer at the Stephen D.C. show, which was like a Howard mm -hmm. Stern kind of show in Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. And he had contacted me again on Facebook like everybody does. Hey, mm -hmm. what you have to? And he told me he wrote this book. And I, and I said, Let's talk, give me, let me talk. I gave him a call. He said, you know, read this book. I had cancer. And this is the book. It's called The Half Book. And I said, I'd love to read it. And I bought the book and I read it because I love to read. Mm -hmm. And I was so moved. It was just, it sounded like a person. It's very, the way Jacqueline Suzanne wrote, you know, in that way that she would write, like she was just telling you the story about what happened. And I called him. I said, God, I wish I could get someone like you to help me write my book. And he said, yes. Wow. And then we wrote it for a year on Skype. I flew him out uh during the six-month mark, I flew him out to L.A. We spent five days together writing. We wrote probably a third of the book in those five days. Wow. And the, the process was I would tell him a story. He'd write it down. He'd put it together. Then he'd send it to me, and then I'd rewrite it. And then we'd have uh, – that's the way we did it. Wow. Because I went to Los I went to uh, high school in Los Angeles, so I basically danced in a circle, <laughs> wore a tie-dye shirt, and they gave me a diploma. I'm this close to special needs. <laughs> I am. I'm a special needs kid. I I'm not I'm dyslexic and I'm not a great writer by any means but I'm a great talker. Mm -hmm. You know. Wow. Well, that's teamwork and even that's ending. <laughs> not at all. Well, you do you do talk for a li I don't know if it's a living, but yes. you do talk No, I do weekly. talk for a living. Yeah, on Dash Radio you've got a show called Riffin with Jason. Yes, I do with my sidekick Lexi Grace. That's amazing. What yeah. day is that on? It's every Wednesdays between uh 1 and 3. We just started. We have celebrity guests either uh, on the show or calling mm -hmm. in and my mom calls in every week and tells us what she's watching on Netflix <laughs> and her obsession with Turkish or Mexican television oh, how so, interesting. yeah she's watched episode 138 of no. El Clone or something <laughs> 173 okay. mom shut up mom I'm talking <laughs> okay. well, what are we seeing next song number two oh, this go. one this one if Isn't that weird? Uh, but you know what that song is about? It's about straight men. Forgive me. You are a straight man? If we want to go into my <laughs> business, well, I Jason, <laughs> I will take over the show. Okay, well, it's about- There's it, much about me you would I don't know anything you. about you. Uh, it, it's about straight men, and mm -hmm. it's, about, it's about straight man privilege, mm -hmm. and it's about how straight men get to do everything, and the rest of us are all standing in line. I mean, right now, it's like white heterosexual Christian appearing men. I, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was doing press for Birth of a Nation, I was invited to this big event that they were giving Tom Hanks an award because he was the everyman. Mm. And I thought, what makes him an everyman? Because mm -hmm. he's straight, he's white, and he looks Christian. Why is, why is Denzel Washington not an everyman? Why is Philip Seymour Hoffman not an everyman? It's because there's a certain kind of guy, you know, you know if you're fat or you're black or you're Asian or you're not, you know, this idea, even on, like you see all those Chicago shows. Oh yeah. There's all these different colored people. There's tons of different colors of the wheel that are on the show, but they all look white. Yeah. They all have white features. And that's what they, there's a thing about that, about a Christian appearing. And I think that what that does to the rest of the country who don't look like that, it, and especially to women, you know, just, it makes you feel like, you know, wow. You don't exist. You know, people always ask to me, you know, what, you know, would you, do you mind playing gay or straight parts? I said, I don't care. I want to work with really talented people. And, mm -hmm. and there are no gay parts for a guy who's 50 ish. There are no gay parts for that, unless it's some short little film that's going to be in the Palm Springs Film Festival, June uh, 19th, called <laughs> Hank. 
just saw that. You know, <laughs> but, other than that little film, which was made by a Chinese director who's 25 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, who spent $50,000 making this incredible film, and they just wow. got nominated for Best uh, Short at that film festival and Best LGBTQ Short at the Los Angeles Film Festival. So he, this extraordinary kid from another country, just made this incredible film about an older couple about whether they want to live in an open relationship the problems of that we're dealing with today mm -hmm. so i thought that was sort of cool um that kind of begs the question because i'm just starting to dip my feet into like making movies myself like i just wrapped filming on my first short and part of it is because there are stories that i don't see that represent what i think or how i feel about stuff and so it kind of begs the question like well why wouldn't you just write parts for yourself and I, I have. Okay. I have done that. I've done, I've probably, how many things have I produced? Around 10 things? Yeah. I have, an, yeah, I've got another web series come out called Smothered that I was asked to be in that I co-wrote with my friend Mitch Hera. He asked me to do this thing. It's about this older gay couple yeah. who uh, hate each other and want to get divorced but don't have enough money. <laughs> That's like so typical. I and think that's typical for anyone that's, that's trying what to I get. That's I think. Yeah. He always says it's very universal. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's a, and they're smothering each other. Yeah. You know? And it's really funny. It's done in the style of a David O. Russell film. Nice. So it's comedy and drama mixed together, but it's really, you know, it's funny because we're we're editing now, and it's just weird to watch. It's a character I've never played. It's a very put upon guy, and uh, it's somebody. You know, I've been. It's funny the two gay characters I did recently are. Both characters that don't have a voice as much. Mm -hmm. Interesting, because I'm a real, you know, most of the characters I played for years were always playing managers. People were that were in charge that yet had no power. First it went from prissy hotel clerks and that kind of, to annoying Jewish guys that talk like this, you know, and then to, to guys in charge of things. And then now I play people that are in charge. Which is fun. Yeah, I don't have the, I don't seem to get the other ones as much anymore. I, after playing a plantation owner, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, it still like blows my mind. That's intense. Let me ask you this. How do you feel about the public now that are criticizing people like Brian Cranston for playing someone in a wheelchair when he in fact is not in a wheelchair when there are other actors? There was a movie that came out that he played with Kevin oh, Hart. Yes. Um, where he had, I This is a hard one. This is a hard one because you, you the next song you have playing, this is going to go into that. So you have Elton John, your song. So mm -hmm. there's a young guy who uh, I'm hearing is straight, who played the lead Elton John part. But Elton John and his husband David, uh, uh, I'm it's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, Permit, Perm, Dave, not David Permit. That's the producer guy. Uh, but his husband produced this movie, and this guy plays the part. He's an incredible mimic. His voice, he mimics Elton's voice mm -hmm. brilliantly. Who was actually the third choice for that film? Well, who was the first? Uh, Tom Just, Hardy. Justin Timberlake. Was first to play, Elton, to play John. Elton John. Yeah. So Elton John and his husband yeah. apparently thought they picked someone who was exactly like Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> and these three guys could not be more not like Elton John. Right. And I do believe there's two kinds of people in life. that mm -hmm. go. There are people who get things because of the way they look mm -hmm. and people who get things because of who they are. Mm. Elton John got something because of who he was. Mm. It was not the way he, he looked. That's not how it started. You can be like Beyonce, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But she's an incredible singer. Right. And she, but you know, but she got first because of the way she looked. And then the other stuff came after. But, you know, where Elton, it was always about the work. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it doesn't matter how you get it, but it's just in life. So they've got this guy walking around the movie. And let me tell you, he's brilliant in the movie. You saw it? Yes. I went to one of the screenings at Paramount. Yeah. The gay pride screening. Yeah. And um, he's brilliant. Yeah. But it's not Elton John. Well, of course not. No. But Elton is proud of it. His oh, family, on well, the other hand, of is course, not, because yeah. <laughs> he picked a guy that he wanted. This yeah. is his version of how he wanted to I, be. I, so. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. So it's, yeah, it's a, the movie's a lot of fun, and you'll enjoy it. And I say go, yeah. run to see it. Yeah. Spoiler but alert: it, Does he does he get famous? Does does Elton make it in life? As I don't know. You have to. I see don't the want movie. to. <laughs> <laughs> but getting getting back to this song, which is both of these are the first time I've seen Funny Girl up until just chunks of it. I've never sat down and watched the whole thing. So really. And um, something wrong with you. And uh, <laughs> well, it's. It, 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 I'm kidding. And then, and then no, I, I was trying to think of a witty comeback, but I'm a little tired. Um, and then this other song that has to do with um, the, the who's who sang that song? 
This one here, Beyonce. Beyonce. Oh, that's a Beyonce song. I've never heard this song. If I were either. a boy, I wanted to do a music video called "If I Were a Straight Boy," because that's that's what it felt like. It felt like all these privileges. You should that, go to the Straight Pride Parade get, in that, Boston. You, oh yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I mean, it, I mean don't every even, day is Straight Pride Day. Don't get me started. No, I want to get um, you started. But it, it, you know, I, I, I don't. That just sets me crazy. But I. I <laughs> God, why? Why I, did? What is this? What, well, because did you it, hear the song I by think Beyonce? I think everything I've wanted to do in my life, in terms of my work, mostly, has been a harder road. Mm-hmm. You know, if I wanted to be a hairdresser or an interior decorator, I could have been probably one of the most successful ones around. You know, but I didn't want that. And you were one of the first openly. Gay actors in, and comedians, and yes. comedians in the nineties and that early nineties, yeah, before Ellen, before before Neil. Ellen, yeah. yeah, yeah. My mom always says she's like, I didn't really like Ellen DeGeneres until she came out and was real about who she was, and then I feel like because it was a piece missing. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like that was? Oh you? God, yeah, yeah. She, my mom says Ellen? there's still a piece missing. She doesn't <laughs> like Ellen. She thinks she's boring. She doesn't like Very her. Boring. She doesn't like. She doesn't like her. Oh well, <laughs> not because she's a lesbian. She just doesn't like her. She, she, but we love Rosie O'Donnell. We love Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ellen. She's a New Yorker, Rosie, right? Yeah. I'll tell you, I saw Ellen DeGeneres' latest um, Netflix special, her comedy special. I don't know if you've seen it. But yeah, I did. It, okay, then you know. It was it was okay. It was, yeah, there, it was very like... But she's the thing is, and I don't want to put her down in any way because she's a ground changer. I opened for her, and I and I think that what she's done is extraordinary. Absolutely. And I think, and I think comedy is is like a poo-poo platter. I, it, some things that make some people laugh. I think she there's nobody... She's a great interviewer, and Absolutely. she's incredibly funny on her show. Absolutely. I don't disagree. Her, <laughs> her, I think what I was just so disappointed was is when she brought out the screens behind her and used that to like tell jokes because it felt so easy. It was like, well, if I had that, of course. Oh, I don't agree. Really? I think you do whatever you got to do, you know, however you want to say it. Comedy is a bigger medium now. Look what uh, Anna Gaspar, Hannah Gaspar did. I mean, the first half of is all this lesbian humor about how what it was like, to, you know, to come out and be yourselves. And then she did this rant for like 40 minutes about what it's like to be a, a woman in comedy. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't funny, but it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. It was a brilliant rant, and it's changed her career. And now she's the the new person. Whereas Kate Clinton, who's been the grandmother of of uh, gay comedy, hasn't. you don't even know who she is. Mm-mm. Yeah. And she's brilliant. Yeah. A- and I think Ellen is brilliant. I do, too. I don't want to take it. I just com- But it's a different kind of comedy. And everybody has, it's a gentler comedy. I'll take and, that. Yeah, you know, everybody has a different thing. And uh, mine is very Joan Rivers-ish, very uh, Don Rickles, very in-your-face. Yeah. I like to talk to the audience. I like my feelings, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's just me. That's fun. Yeah, that's just who I am. I think that's what it is. It's like if you can feel like, okay, that, that they gave everything, you know what I mean? Like they gave, they gave me them. That's but it's 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 like food. It's every everything is it's a different taste. And yeah. subjective. You're right. Yeah, I'll take it. So that was Beyonce. If I were a boy. If mm-hmm. I were a boy. Yeah. Do you remember hearing that for the first time? Yes, I heard it way past when it was a hit, and it just like I went, oh, my head like snapped off, <laughs> and I went, wow, this is something I I so resonate with, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it's a shame that she's not acting now, and it's a shame that a lot of her songs are so sexual oriented, because I think that she's better than that. How do you resonate to the song? Like, in, in what ways of, would you say? Like, when you heard it, did you like identify with? Like, yeah, you like talked a, about white privilege, white straight privilege. Yeah, it's about being, you know, being a Jew and being gay. Did and it ha- anger you? I know it just made me. It, it's more sad. It's sad. sadness. Just that another I, example that I don't get of, to. I don't get to live in life the same way, and I've had to do so many other things to get where I've gotten. And I watch people. I guess I'll be really audience. I watch some of the work on television now and on streaming that the work is so brilliant. There's such great work going on now. Fosse Verdon, you know, Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. you know, The Wire. When the They la- See Us, have you seen that? Yeah. Oh, they- When They See oh. Us. I watched till five in the morning the other night. Uh, we had to we had to. Ava break. DuVernay, I was just yeah. so, uh, who's we? Uh, me and the missus. Oh, okay. And she knows um, my past. Every okay. every bit of my past. Okay, she good knows. for her. We'll talk. Good for her, and she accepts mm-hmm. it. Let's just move on. It's about <laughs> me right now. Um, but I watched that, and I just I was so moved by the work. Uh, and I work with, uh, um, oh, God, 
one of them for Birth of a Nation, one of the moms. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm losing my mind, her name. But uh, I just so, I couldn't put it down. It was like this incredible book. I just could not stop watching it. And I was so moved by it and so completely um, taken with the whole thing. I mean, everything about the whole thing. The, the whole series, and I, it, it just moved to the top of my list now. But I think uh, Michelle Williams has given the most brilliant performance of the year as Gwen Verdon. I just hope people can get through it because it gives you no break as an audience member. You just get beaten. Oh, up. Uh, when we were there, when, uh, when the way you see us. I was, yeah, Fosse. Well, There's yeah, no I think people who can't watch things, I don't care. Yeah, I think they're but insane. There are people that need to see it. You know, that I think it's important. Yeah. yeah. Here's a Y-Tunes connection <clears throat> for you. Oh. Um, the movie that we're talking about, Birth of a Nation, you were actually in that film with a past guest of ours, William Mark McCullough. Oh, yeah, He's in that yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Who did he play in the film? Well, according to IMDb, That's... he plays white man. <laughs> oh. oh is, he the, is he sort of I a could shorter see him in guy? That role. <laughs> That's him. Yes, he he plays. I think he plays the guy that that says the terrible thing, and he has the fight with him in it. Yeah. it. It was really, really powerful part. He was in the trailer. I didn't meet him, and he wasn't a part of the um, publicity. Unless you had a bigger part, you weren't a part of the yeah. the uh, PR for the film. Yeah. Uh, but he uh, he did an incredibly wonderful job. Yeah. He really, oh, really, really did. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, if that's who I think it is, it's hard to see because I don't have my glasses. But if that's who he is, he was just incredibly. Uh, that was a real powerful scene where, wow, yeah. where where Nat Turner. For those who don't know, the Birth of a Nation is the story of Nat Turner, who was the first uh, black abolitionist to fight the way slave owners. There's three. Uh, Villains in the film, myself, Jason Warner Smith, and Jackie O'Haley. It's rape, murder, and torture. Oh. So each of us are one of those things. And the woman that was in uh, the way you, when you see us was uh, Anjanou Ellis, mm. who was just brilliant. Forgive me, Anjanou, for forgetting your name. I'm terrible with names. Um, but I just loved her in the film, and she was mm. great to hang out with. You know, doing that film was such a powerful thing for me because. It was the idea that I was asked to sit at the big table and that, you know, Nate Parker, there's a whole chapter in my book. It's called The Birth of an Actor about this. Mm -hmm. And it's my favorite chapter in the book, honestly, because it's about the idea that when talent meets opportunity, I'd gotten an agent in New Orleans and I spent uh, probably four years auditioning in my house before I got this part. Mm -hmm. And two years before I even got a part, I got a part, a guesting on... Uh, Sleepy Hollow the first two years and then two years later I got this part you know and the South doesn't really want local hires and I got it as a local hire out of New Orleans oh wow and they don't really want to do that they don't like us and there's a bunch of white guys who are my age that could do this part just as good as me probably and I went in and I got a call from my agent saying they want you to put yourself on tape to play a plantation owner I went yeah me I don't think that's not happening <laughs> so I I was doing a stand up gig that night and I didn't even get home till midnight and then I got up in the morning. I called an assistant that I was working with. Thank God I had an assistant I was working with. I said, get here at 9 a.m. They want it by 12, Ugh. you know, their time. I did. I got it done by 11.10. I sent it in. And I thought, that's it. I'll never hear about this. Mm -hmm. uh, a week later, I got a call from the agent. They said, this guy named Nat, uh, Nate, Nate Parker, rather, Nate, Nate Parker, wants to meet you. So I fly on my own dime to New Orleans mm. uh, in this crap hotel, you know, with a pregnant woman smoking yeah. on the balcony and then some guy <laughs> sitting by the pool that looks like he would murder me in my sleep for $60 a night got one of those rent erects drove an I think a half hour out of Savannah Georgia yeah to a mall that they had uh, taken over a storefront for us to audition in walked in you know and had spent the whole night before in my hotel room you, you know practicing the n-word because I had never said the n-word out loud really other than maybe in my car listening to Snoop Dogg. And um, <laughs> so I I drove there and I'm in the park. I got there three hours early and I'm there in the parking lot. I'll never forget it. And I'm practicing my part. And then I see this man comes over. He goes, I know you. And I said, I thought I have a fan in the middle of a parking lot, half hour out of Savannah, Georgia. And it was yeah. Nate Parker. Oh, wow. And he had a hat and a beard and he didn't look like he, he looked. And he said something to me, and he's so handsome and so had this charisma, and I don't even remember what he said. Mm -hmm. But I just went, 
I'm good to be able to do this. Yeah. I went in, I did it. He said, could you make a judgment? This guy's funny. This guy's, you know, a, a loud, a loud mouth. And I said, can I do, <laughs> can I do comedy? Yeah. I said, can I read both scenes again? He said, yes. Cause I knew I needed a running start. And if you see the film, there's a page and a half walk and talk that I do. Mm where I talk about it's hard times to small farmers like you and myself. Breaking even's hard enough and getting ahead's impossible. Now to save some, I'll cut them back to a meal a day per head. You ready, boy? <laughs> so I did this whole scene, and he said, thank you very much. I said, this sounds like a great project. Good luck. And I thought I'd never hear from him again. The next day, I'm talking to my friend Terry Ray, another actor-writer on the phone, and I get a call from my agent's assistant because my agent wasn't there that day. And, she, and I put Terry on hold, and I totally forgot he was there. And she says, how's your day going? I said, it's going <laughs> fine. She says, she says, well, it's about to get a lot better. I said, well, why? She says, well, you got the part. And I said, what part? Because I put myself on tape for so many of these yeah. independent films and episodics and stuff. And she said, the plantation owner. And I just went, what? what? I said, don't lie to me. Don't kid me. And I completely broke down. Oh, mm. Wow. And I still get emotional thinking about it. Good. Because yeah. it was a moment that I was, that somebody, like when Oprah says, when somebody sees you. Yeah. And I felt like they saw my work. They saw all the work that I've done for so many years. And I have not felt seen a lot. Yeah. You know, and I've not been able to, uh, it's the hardest thing when you work so hard and you don't fit in and people constantly, people don't tell you. That's why I say to people who want to be in this business, you know, there's a famous little story that, uh, a friend of Barbara Streisand's says to her, she says, uh, uh, Barbara, will you will you meet my uh, niece? She wants to be an actress. And Barbara says, sure, of course. So uh, the niece meets Barbara and she says, do you think I should be an actress? And Barbara says, no. And she says, well, why? She said, well, because if you have to ask, mm -hmm. then no. Mm -hmm. This isn't a, a, mm. a profession where you have to ask to be, you have to know that, that it's who you are. Mm-hmm. It's your passion. You have to want it more than anything. And it's okay not to want it more than anything. It's okay not to, to have another life. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish that I wasn't as successful as I've been because then I could have quit. I wish I wasn't as talented as I, as I am because I could have quit a lot of times. And there's chapters in the book about, you know, being fired and beat up by the people and how, you know, because I've done everything I could to get where I've got. And now as my career is in this place of, of um, having had such success, what I have to learn is to wait for people to come to me through my work. And that's the hardest thing to do because I want to get there and, you know, start digging ditches and, you know, using all my equipment and get my shovel out and working hard because that's what I want to do. But they don't, you know, that's, that's not the way people like you to do it. They just want you to wait and go through six other people to get to you and, isn't you know. that what you said in the beginning of this interview? You were like, Hollywood doesn't want to see you work hard. No, they don't want to see. Remember yeah. that commercial with Elaine Boozler? No, it was for uh, uh, a deodorant. I forgot what deodorant. She says, you, know, you never want to let them see you sweat. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's the truth. My favorite New Yorker cartoon, bar none, and I've got the whole from 1906 to present, is a, a young actor on the phone with his mom saying to her, it's between me and the guy who's going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that summed the whole thing up for me. <clears throat> All right, Jason, this is your song number three. I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down the words. How wonderful life is while you're in the world. You know what that song is about, right? Tell me everything. What do you think? Tell me what you think it's about. I think it's about this person that's just so in love with life that he's like, I could have done all these other things, but this is... It's Bernie Taupin, no. It's about a boy who's in love with a boy. Oh. Bernie Taupin, yeah. That's what it is for Elton, I'm sure. Well, Bernie wrote it, yeah. It's got to be... Yeah, well, Bernie, Bernie I, you, know, you know, Elton was originally, I think, in love with him. Probably. Yeah. They did a lot the of stuff together. What? You got to see the movie. Fine. Well, the movie, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's how that started, because they, uh, you know, that's how it started. But and Bernie Strait and Elton is, but Elton John just, uh, th this is off the uh, Honky Tonk Chateau album, if I'm correct. I didn't know this song until there's two, that's his two greatest albums, is mm -hmm. the Yellow Brick Road and this, and, I'll, and maybe, um, what's the one with the bitches back is on, which is uh, 
forgot that out. Maybe it's called, that's what the album is called. I can't remember. Yeah, those are, you know, it's just like, I don't know, he's extraordinary. I didn't know this song until Moulin Rouge in 2001. Well, you're a baby. When they it, yeah. <laughs> you know, I listened to these albums until they I, they wore out. I mean, the Funny Girl album, I, I honestly do not have my original Funny Girl album because I wore it out. On vinyl? On vinyl. Of course. Ooh. Yeah, I wore it out. <laughs> not of course, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but we've talked about Elton, so, yeah. So we're done with Elton. It's fine. I think so. I think Talk we... about your bedroom. Really? What was your bedroom like as a kid? Oh God, I don't remember. I had a big S on the wall. Why? Because uh, oh, like Mary Taylor Moore had a big M. Uh huh. Because my first, my real name, my first name used to be Stewart. Was my first name. Oh. So Jason Stewart's not my real name. So I had a big S. Oh. So um, and I had pictures all over my bedroom wall of things. I don't even remember. There was the time when I had all the monkeys on the wall. Mom, do you remember what I had on my wall? I had a, I had a Dodger pennant because I wanted people to think I was straight. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the monkeys, the band, or monkeys? Oh, the monkeys. Okay, you know, Mickey Dolenz, David Jones, come. Peter Tark, Mike Nesbeth. Right. Got That's it. So the great. million monkeys. You know, I'm yeah. too young. The Beatles were, was a little before me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you heard of the documentary Echo in the Canyon? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, I want to see this so bad. What's it's about it? Laurel Canyon here in L.A. and the music scene and like the, the Beach Boys. And oh the, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that movie that um, that was made a couple years ago with John Cusack. What was it called? Oh, almost famous. No, 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 no this it was just it was about two or three years ago. It was so good. Uh, it just was so wonderful. I, I, it's it didn't get a lot of play, and I, and I don't know why. And it was about the Beach Boys. It was so so good. It's one of my favorite movies, honestly. It's called Love and Mercy, and him and Paul Dano and Elizabeth Banks and Paul Giamatti. I mean, I would have killed you and, and probably my mother to play that part. Um, sorry, Mom. Um, and Bill up. <laughs> she went, oh, yeah, again. Uh, <laughs> it was just such an incredible movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Who was who is your first crush? Oh, my God. Mm. Well, Barbara Streisand, probably. Um, <laughs> in first, real life. In real life? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Well, when I was a kid, Stacy Perquet, and she used to wear these little party dresses, and she had a little <laughs> basket that had Barbies in them, and I thought she was just adorable. But my first, <laughs> who I was probably nuts about in school, probably Alan Tableman, who lived across the street. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really understand that. Yeah. You know, I just knew that I wanted to be around him all the time. He's yeah. this beautiful little blonde boy. And I, you, know, you don't think sexual as a child. No. You just think I have a crush on this person. Yeah. You know, and then uh, as you get old, you get into junior high, you go, oh, I'm in trouble. I better find myself a, a, a woman. And then mm-hmm. that's, you know, I was in fourth, fifth, sixth grade. I started, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time was a girl named Amanda Shearer. And in, our, in my book, there's a whole chapter about her. Wow. You Are know? you guys still friends? Oh, yeah. I just spoke, spoke to her today. That's mm. great. By total coincidence, because she sent me this email message that irritated me. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the that's the borderline yeah. of love. Yes. Right? Oh, I love her. And annoyance. Okay. Well, then let's move on. Song number four. Number four. Don't have to be rich to be my. So I'm going to tell you the, tri- the Prince story. So <laughs> go there. I was uh, doing a big gay event in San Diego, and the guy who runs Live Nation, oh, God, I wish I could remember his name again, uh, was on this little teeny airplane. They flew me out there in a little teeny airplane. That's fun. Yeah, it's like somebody really thought I was somebody. And, I was, <laughs> and he was flying back on that little teeny airplane. You know, I guess there were like 10 people on it. And he said, "Oh, you're Jason Stewart. You're the, you're the comedian, right?" I said, "Yeah, I was doing this Live big nation guy." Yeah, okay. and I said, "He's he, and we we sat next to each other on the plane." And he's and he he said, "I said, yeah, I just did this big, um, I did, I did a big fundraising dinner for the LGBT center there in San Diego, and I think I was either the host or the comedy thing. I can't remember." And he said, and then he said, we were talking, he said, what are you doing tonight? I said, uh, nothing. He said, he said, well, you want to come see Prince? And I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding? And I was in the front section. I was as close to him as I am to you. He, oh, I was wow. on stage. 
and he was just incredibly bright. And he wore this yellow, canary yellow pantsuit. Perfect. That looks like something my mother would have worn in the 60s and the early 70s, way until the 80s. And, <laughs> and you could see the outline of his penis. Sorry, Mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like so sexy. And I'm not really attracted to men that are feminine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but he also was straight. He was a big womanizer. Oh. Incredible womanizer, and God bless him. He passed away from the drug addiction. From you know what the you know why? Because he would wear high heels and jump mm-hmm. off of on stage, and he j- danced and jumped. You know, he's a short guy, yeah. And those high heels it ruined his back. Oh. And then he he was the reason he walked with a cane. If you is because he had to have a hip operation, oh. and he was about to do that. But he was on this drug because the pain was so bad. My mom knows she had her hip replaced, and the pain is so bad oh. that he would walk with a cane, and he. This doctor, of course, gave him. He had, you know, he's rich. He got drugs from everybody, and he mm-hmm. overdosed because, you know, you, it's just too much. Yeah. He should have just went and had the operation, but I guess he, he didn't for whatever reason. So God bless him, you know. But he he, he was one of the most innovative music people and yeah. most prolific, and the first person to go, you know, f you to all the big music companies. Mm-hmm. He got on stage at the Grammys, and he had that slave on his face because they wouldn't let him own his own music. And then he, he was the first person to start owning his own music, selling it off his website. He he just loved that he loved the art more than the fame and i love that about him mm-hmm. and he you know and i just loved his music loved his music did you do you remember hearing it for the first time like where you were no it was just always somebody that was a part i was you know i i, I and you see him he just doesn't look at all like you know um he was like the solid dairy to the michael jackson you know yeah. another flawed human being you know uh you know where he was just the one that that worked really hard and that came, I mean, Purple Rain, I remember being in New York. I think that was the first time I went, oh my God, I'm really, you know, when I went to see Purple Rain with my cousin Nancy in New York mm-hmm. at some theater in Brooklyn, this gorgeous old palace of theater. And it was just so moving and so um, extraordinary. And I went, oh man. And I started collecting his music. So I guess that's the first time I really saw him. Sure. You know. Nice. His birthday was just on Friday, yesterday. Sixty-one. He be how old? Sixty-one. Oh, is it? No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Because mm-hmm. he died at fifty, right? No, no. he Maybe just died last year. Around two or three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, two years ago. I didn't realize. So he lied about his age then. He was born in '58. He's as old as my mom. Oh, okay. sorry, mom. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. God. All right. What's the What's the Y two nugget? Do you got a nugget on this one? Yeah, what's interesting this week, the week that this song hit number one on Billboard charts, he also wrote the number two record on the charts, which was Manic Monday by the Bangles. Yes. So he, he, one he, he wrote two. music for everyone, and yeah. it was mostly for pretty girls. <laughs> he he had all this, those. He actually wrote this song for another band. I think it's called like Man, Manzi, Manzanita or something like that. He wrote the song, and then he was like, you know what? That's too good. I'm going to keep that for myself. And, and then it was redone on. by mm-hmm. Tom uh, Jones. Oh, it was really? a big hit for Tom Jones, nice. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see Bet right over there. You ready? Oh, I'm ready, honey. Oh, my God. He's Jones in for song number five. Yeah. Skylar, how you see the valley green with spring, where my heart Bet Midler to round us out, huh? Where's it take you? People don't know this song, obviously. I, uh... It's a gorgeous song. It's off her second album, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's all about you know where's that where's that love where's it where's that where, where's he hiding, you know? And it's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful song, and she is very much um, a uh, a song stylist. So you'll hear her voice, but her, her voice could sound completely different in another song. Yeah, you know, she's not like Beyonce or Streisand or. You know, or Prince or Michael she Jackson. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mom and there would be no uh, Bette Midler if there was no Barbara Streisand. Mm. You know that she opened the door. Barbara did. Oh yeah, for for you know interesting Jewish women. Oh, there would be no Rhoda on the Mary Tyler Marshall Valerie Harper if there were no Barbara Streisand. Fair enough. You know, people don't realize they got to give her credit. I guess I don't just don't realize that timeline. What what that looks like? You know, like who oh, came yeah. first? Well, Sometimes like, I, I hear the Be- or the the Beatles, uh, and it's weird to think that Pet Sounds existed at the same time as the Beatles did, because it feels like 
Barbara Streisand, much like the Beatles, kind of existed in her own timeline. Like she's oh, her the, own. T- yeah, and she didn't care. She did whatever she <laughs> yeah. she did. She did all this other kind of music. Mm-hmm. And, well, this and, is a show to learn that stuff. It's just it's just like it's just like Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, who were in the '60s the biggest stars in the world, and they were doing "Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf?" <laughs> and Mike Nichols from Broadway was directing this Pulitzer Prize winning. They don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. The Pulitzer Prize winning play doesn't get made into a movie all and if it does it's some low budget independent film mm-hmm. like uh, august osage county which they cut down to the meryl streep starred in with julia roberts they they cut it down to two hours it's a three-hour play wow. and they cut it down so they could sell and i think it made around 40 million dollars you know which is pretty good but it was nominated for a number of oscars but it could have been so much better if they would have had an, they left the extra hour in mm-hmm. mm. but you know that's showbiz so why this song well, it's it's what I feel like for me. I've been looking and looking. Where is he? Mm-hmm. You know, and when I those kind of songs always resonated with me. Never felt like you came close. Oh yeah, there's a couple. One recently. Mm. You know, do I want to talk about him? Oh God, no. You don't have no, to. No, no. An Italian. Mm. You know. Grazie. Olive skin. Perfect. <laughs> he said, I had gained some weight for this movie that Hank that I did, mm-hmm. and I lost, I've lost most of it. And I said, I said to him, I said, uh, uh, <laughs> he, I said, I lost some of the weight. And he says, Oh, don't get too skinny. I like you the way you are. Aww. And I said, Oh, I'm going to marry you before Trump has you deported. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I just want to drop the nugget because this is my favorite thing about this whole, the five songs that you picked. Uh So the song is called Skylark and people think that this song is what inspired the Buick of the same name that was produced from 1953 to 1998. It's just this like weird urban legend that people are like, yeah, the GM owners thought this Buick Skylark was named after this song. I think that's my favorite thing that I've read. My fourth grade teacher, Mrs. (laughs) Mrs. Wexler, drove a Skylark. A Skylark, yeah. Wow. Isn't that great? No. They're beautiful car, especially the older ones. Bette Midler, very much like Streisand, very much like a lot of the, the singers of that time would find all these gay guys who helped them find these old songs that were sung by all these incredible singers, you know, like Fanny Bryce and Sophie Tucker and a lot of Lena and all these, you know, Billie Holiday and Dinah Washington and all these, you yeah. know, they would, they would recover these songs and bring them back, you know. And I'm not a rap person, and the closest I like to rap is Prince, and he raps sometimes. But this song, I don't even know if I could hear it without just losing it. This bonus track that you want to hear? Yeah, this is the last thing, I think. All right, this is a a bonus bonus number six, and then we'll play a band name or bar name real quick before we wrap it up. Here we go. They sang this at the Grammys. Yes. And Queen Latifah married people on stage. Yes. Mm. And I'm not saying what, whether, I'm not outing anybody. I don't know whether Queen Latifah, what, what, I don't know her. But I remember a couple years, uh, a year before that, she had been the headliner at Long Beach Gay Pride. And she said, we all are, and she used the word we. And there was all this talk about whether she was a we or or was a them, or who she is. Mm-hmm. And there's also, I don't know what the truth is, but I thought, well, this is interesting. You know, mm-hmm. they would have her, who I think is probably one of the most incredible actresses and singers of our time. And if she is a we, I hope she joins us one day, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm a big, big fan, you know. Did we put the title out for the listeners of the song? Yes, this is uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis with Mary Lambert singing Same Love. Same Love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Beautiful. good. Beautiful. This has been really wonderful. I feel so emotional right now. Uh, well, you know what? Go, Let's take a brain break. Um, <sighs> we're not quite done with you. We have just a couple more things to wrap up. Okay. And we're going to wrap up the show. So I'm going to pass it to David because this is his segment, and we like to call this band name or bar name. For some, the most favorite part of the show, this is called band name or bar name. This is based on a uh, comedy bit that was done back in New York where we would ask the audience, which is the name of the band and which is the name of the bar? Every show, we travel to a different city where we... Uh, explore what local bands play there and where they play out. So I'm going to ask you to determine which is the name of the local bar in Boston 
and which is the name of the local band. Are you following me on this? Yes, I'm not good at this, but go ahead. Okay, well, listen very carefully. Me, you, and Maggie and Mom are going to go out to dinner tonight, and we're going to go to the Back Bay Social Club in Back Bay, Boston, and we're going to listen to a band called Silver Arrow. Silver Arrow. Or we're going to go to the Silver Arrow... And we're going to listen to a band called Back Bay Social Club. I think, think the, I really think the band. I think this? the band is called Back Bay Social Club. The band is Back Bay too. Social Club, and yeah. the the restaurant is yeah. the Silver Arrow. Yeah. Okay. Well, the Silver Arrow Band. What is a wedding band business no. based based in Lowell, Massachusetts, that also serves the surrounding cities, and in fact. The Back Bay Social Club is, in fact, the bar. This has been band oh. name or bar name, the silliest, stupidest, take a wild guess part of the show. Thank you for playing. Your job now uh, is to take us uh, to any city in the world, any place you may have been, wanted to go, where we can research local bands, local bars, and we can set up the, the game for next week. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, a place, you mean? Anywhere. Any city, city in the any world. Any city yeah. in the world. How about Provincetown, Massachusetts? We'll go to Provincetown, Massachusetts. Beautiful. Thank you very hard. We would love to know the story of your very first concert. I think the first time I went to a concert, and I'm not sure 100%, was The Temptations and The Supremes. What? Wow. And I was sitting behind with my parents. At on, the forum. At the forum. Wow. And my mom remembers, and it's true. And I sat behind a woman, an Asian woman, I'll never forget it, who wore this mini skirt. And her, you could see the, the clip-on. What do you call that, Mom? With the clip-on? The, the garters. And, and you could see oh, her. Garter and she kept, you could see that. And her hair was teased up so high, I could barely see the show. <laughs> And that was my first concert. What about the last concert you went to? Uh, the last concert I went to? Oh, my God. Who did I see last? Singing? God, I can't remember. That I've got the concert that I heard singing. Well, friends, people, yeah, friends. I've gone to sure. see friends singing. Uh, I can't remember who I saw last. Isn't that terrible? I want to lie. I just lie and say, you know... Uh, well, I know I saw Elton John and Leon Russell with the last time Leon Russell performed. Wow. I saw that, and that was extraordinary. At Dodger Stadium? No, at the Palladium. Oh, okay. No. I saw that. And I saw, uh, there was a time I wanted to see Diana Ross. I went to see Cher. I went to see uh, <laughs> Liza Minnelli at the Greek once that was extraordinary. Yeah. And she was in great form. Awesome. You know. Well, this has been Thank you for sharing all of your music with us. It's been quite a journey for me. I know for David as well. I know we've promoted the book anywhere we can. You can go to the book. You can go to jasonstewart.com, S-T-U-A-R-T, and just click on Bookshop, and and you'll be able to get the book, whether it be from CCB Publishing or Amazon when that comes out. And I would just so love you guys to email me back and let me know what you think of the book and tell me everything. I would really so appreciate that. Perfect. Jason, thank you so much for being on the show Oh, thank you. I wish I could stay here longer. I'm having such a great time. I don't want to live. I want to just sit here and go through all this music. (laughs) That's what it's all about. Just hanging out, playing music and talking about it. David Earl Waterman, thank you for being on the show today. And uh, I have been Maggie Mayfield, your host. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, and share. We are at YTune Shuffle. Thanks for listening. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Y2 Shuffle.